0: brand new episode of the positive sobriety podcast Uh, yes indeed (laughs) yes indeed Uh, i'm nate larkin here with my good friend david and david happy
1: birthday well and happy birthday to you nate (laughs) yeah should we tell everybody what the the big secret is
0: sure yeah go ahead yeah yeah Yeah,
1: nate and i share the same birthday um Oddly enough, and uh, we have celebrated our birthday together in some way or another, whether it's over coffee or uh,
0: maybe a dinner here and there uh, for many years. Many, many years. Yeah. What a cool thing. I, I'm a little bit older than you. Not much. Not a much. Bit. No. no. <laughs> so... Uh yeah. You know that Beatles song, uh, when I'm 64. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: Are you yeah, going yeah. to be
0: able to answer that question now? or is it- <laughs> I, I will know. I will know by the time the day is over. <laughs> that, that hypothetical question will be answered. Yeah. I, I, it's good to know that, uh, I am loved and cared for. I don't doubt it. I'm so grateful Yeah, for, for, um, for my relationship with you, David, uh, likewise, I'm so grateful for the, you know, the marriage that I have that against all odds has survived and thrived and flowered. And Allie and I will spend the day together. Um, yeah.
1: Wow. That's, yeah, that's, that's a beautiful thing. And, um, I'm grateful for you, Nate, and, um, our friendship and what you've, um, brought into my life. I'm sitting here because, um, I could trust you and that's a, that's a big big part of my story so
0: and you're a big part of mine to this day I'm grateful you're the guy I can tell anything to
1: well and I am grateful to hear it I yeah, honestly yeah. am, so that's yeah, yeah. that's awesome. But yeah, I'm I I just turned the decade uh, corner today, so oh, I oh, am. Okay.
0: You crossed into the I 60s crossed today.
1: The 60 line today, and it's it's like I was telling a friend of mine this morning. It's like um, you age 10 years in one day. <laughs> <laughs> Because <laughs> you have to quit saying I'm 50 anything, you know, right, exactly. and then all of a sudden I'm 60. And that's like, I i just got 10 years older in what overnight. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know, but it, it doesn't really mean shit, but I <laughs> i guess it does in a way. But
0: The crazy thing is, you know, chronologically, you know, my body is 64 on an emotional level. David, most of the time I'm still 14.
1: Yeah. Yeah. How does this work? I know. I know. My mom actually told me this the other day. She just turned 84 and she's had a couple of little, uh, not so little, but, uh, health issues come up in the last little bit. And, uh, which is one reason I had to miss one of our podcasts recently. I had to help, uh, get her into some, uh, care, but the, um, the interesting thing she said was she said, you know, she's 84 now. Mm-hmm. And she said I passed by the mirror and I look over there and I go, who is that old woman? <laughs> 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 I'm like, oh, well, man. you know, cuz in her head she's 32. Right, and uh yeah. yeah, so I guess I I'm relating to that. I'm thinking, you know, how can I be 60 when, you know, I'm I'm sure I'm coming off as 29 to everybody else.
0: Well, I don't know what you're doing. Uh, we're going to be real low-key. There's no party here. Oh, um, yeah. Uh, right? Yeah. Uh, no. However, Allie and I are packing like mad, and I've got the car top carrier on top of the family vehicle because uh, we're heading to the mountains for two weeks. Nice. Yeah, we're going up into Highlands, North Carolina, a beautiful part of the uh, Blue Ridge Mountains, and, uh, or the Smokies. I'm not sure what... Technically, what part of the mountain range that is? At any rate, it's part of that Appalachian, you know, chain of mountains. Beautiful part of the country. Got a remote five-bedroom cabin up there. Nice. And the, the kids and the grandkids are going to come uh, in shifts. Uh, there'll be some overlap. Though at one point we'll just have a house full of kids. And uh, yeah, yeah, we're taking we're taking the new dog. And it's, I've been checking the weather forecast and it's going to be coming off this pretty warm and very humid summer here in middle Tennessee. I look at that and I see it's going to be in the mid to low sixties during Uh, the day and into the forties at night. And that's, you know, that's fire pit weather. And it's, yeah, Allie and I have to go to the uh, storage bin today to pull out our flannels. Oh,
1: that's good. Yeah.
0: So uh, I I don't know, you know, we use this marvelous technology still might be possible for me to pull off, uh, recording podcasts while we're gone. We'll work that out. I'm, I imagine yeah. you've got more guests lined up, don't you, David?
1: Well, I do have some folks lined up, but, um, you know, we're going to, uh, be as flexible as we can be. And, um, Uh, If technology cooperates, then we can do it. If not, our folks that we uh, have on the program are pretty good about saying, you know, when uh, they're available next and we'll just uh – put them wherever we need to. So the great thing about podcasting, you know, is that we can put these in the can and then we can, (laughs) we can post them as, as with regularity. So, you know, if we're not, uh, sitting here every week in person, we can get a few things under our belt and, and post them without too much interruption. So.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, Another cool thing about this podcast is that, uh, we really we're, we're we're reaching for a wide audience. We cast a wide net. We yeah. talk about recovery in very broad terms, right? Uh, and although you and I have uh, religious convictions and come from religious traditions and have our own spiritual practices, we talk to people who come from kind of all directions, right? And we want to talk about our shared experience with addiction and compulsive behaviors and recovery. From those and from the wounds they cause, right? Uh, and that means that there are an awful lot of people who will have something valuable to add to the conversation. Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely, and, and I they- love listening to people whose experiences have been very different than my own. Yeah. Yeah. And uh Yeah.
0: Or whose struggles are different from mine. So it isn't, you know, uh, I've got, a, I'm also on the uh, the Pirate Monk podcast where we really focus very heavily on sex addiction because that's my story. We talk about that a lot. Yeah. Uh, here we tend to talk a lot about alcoholism and sex addiction because your story and mine kind of mm-hmm. both get brought into it. But there are many other ways uh, that we human beings can get trapped in downward spirals of compulsive behavior. Oh, by the way, we've got to get somebody on here soon to talk about technology addiction. Yeah. Have have you seen the new Netflix show, The Social Social Dilemma? Dilemma?
1: I watched it Saturday and I couldn't decide whether to go delete my Facebook account and just <laughs> go into a hole um, yeah. and never be influenced again by anybody or, yeah. you know, I, what, what kind of alert to sound in the, in the world. But, but, yeah, I did watch that. And, man, I've told so many people as well about it because this is coming from the folks who, you know, who built the machine. Um, right. Yeah. Just how how um, how intentionally uh, they are vying for our attention. And
0: yeah, maybe one guy to get on if we can possibly get him is a fellow named Judson Brewer. He's got a great book out called The Craving Mind, mm. uh, and a whole section of it is devoted to uh, technology and technology addiction. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. Uh, we you got us another great guest uh let's not uh spill the beans too soon because she has her own story to tell it's very engaging you're gonna love this hang on we'll be back in a moment on the positive sobriety podcast Welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Uh, David, once again, you have explored your wide range of contacts. You've gone as far as uh, New England, I think, to find today's guest. Would you do the introductions?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Coming to us from Connecticut, uh, we have author, speaker, and coach, uh, Robin Clare. And uh, Robin has some really great and, I think, profound insights on... um, recovery, but also just on um, what our true root causes and um, addictions really are. And um, I want her to just kind of share her story and then tell us about what she's Discovered. She's got um, a, a Feast and Famine, which is an Amazon number one bestseller uh, in many categories. Um, and she also uh, has a very creative approach with writing uh, and how uh, the writing process works and helps us in our own healing journey. Robin, welcome to Positive Sobriety.
2: Thank you, David. And thank you, Nate, for having me here today.
0: Absolutely. So glad you're with us. Uh, you know, we. Robin, we love our listeners to get to know our guests on a personal level, and Mm -hmm. we're all curious at the outset to find out what was the long and winding road that brought you into this kind of work? How did you get to this kind of work?
2: Yeah, so it's a long and winding road. So I'll try not to be long and winded.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: so my journey began when I was seven years old, and my mother and my grandmother put me on my first diet, and mm. um, and it 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 involved being at summer camp and my mom telling my counselor that I couldn't have desserts. And so it began this fear of uh, deprivation of food deprivation sure. and this desire to have sweets when, whenever I could because any moment someone could take them away from me. Right. And, and then when I was a teenager, um, you know, I, I I grew up in the seventies, so everybody got stoned in high school, and then mm-hmm. we started having the munchies, and then I discovered that, well, I could actually stay thin, and not you know not sure. upset my mom, if I threw up the food that I was eating. So, oh. starting at oh. seventeen years old, I started on the journey of bulimia, and that journey lasted for forty years. Wow. of obsessively eating and and then throwing up. And so every day, three day three meals a day plus snacks, I was in this um struggle in my own life, you know, was that something good to eat? Was it bad? Did I eat too much? Did I what can I do? Did I eat it, oh, did I eat not enough? Maybe I should eat more. You know, maybe I should throw it up. Maybe I shouldn't. And it, it just was this ongoing Struggle, this level, level of suffering that I was in for 40 years. And so I finally got to a point where I got a message. I'm a spiritual channel uh, from this, mm-hmm. and I, I, have, I have a gift of, of speaking to beings from the spiritual realm. And I, 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 I received a message that if I don't bury my bulimia, my bulimia will bury me. Mm. and of course, I had to have one more pig out, you know, because just like an alcoholic yeah. has to <laughs> have that last drink, right? Yeah, you
1: drink all the way and to rehab, right?
2: Yes, right, <laughs> and when I threw up that last time, I had blood everywhere, and pain in all of my organs, and mm. uh, pain like I've never had before, And and I realized that if I didn't stop this i would probably like pop a gasket or something yeah. you know have a major stroke or something and so that scared me into recovery and in the meantime i had actually written a book on recovery and I was still in addiction. The, the name of the book is Feast and Famine, Healing Addiction with Grace. And this is also uh, part channeled and part my my journey and part practical guidance. But the message that I received for this book and why I was asked to write this book from my spiritual guides is that the spiritual realm believes that there is only one addiction on this planet, and that is to suffering. So we're all addicted to suffering. And then what happens is we have to figure out what, why are we suffering? What childhood, teenage, adult trauma created the suffering in our lives? And if we're ready to look at the suffering, then we can come truly come into recovery. So once you what, so, if we're first addicted to suffering, then we choose our vice or substance to to um to basically wallow in our suffering. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, we when we're ready to come into to uh, what I call surrender, that moment when we're just done, you know, there's a difference between wishing you were done and being done. Right, I know I'm, both of you men know that. Yeah. That is what the spiritual realm calls surrender: is when you're done, 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 mm-hmm. right? And um, and it's funny. I said done, 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 and the and the clock on the on the recording said five, 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 which in the spiritual realm is the number for transformation. Oh wow! <laughs> so I thought that was kind of interesting that my eye glanced <laughs> at that. Um. Mm-hmm. And so then you're you're in surrender. and then what happens in surrender? You can begin to receive the grace from heaven, from your neighbor, from your friends, from your from your uh, from your AA group, wherever you are, where resources start coming to you in the form of grace or grace comes to you as resources to help you to become securely embedded in your recovery. And um, and then from there, to, in order to have long-term recovery, you have to come into what I call congruence. And that is when you are living your best life really aware and and really taking care of mind, body, spirit, and emotion. So you're looking at all the different aspects of your life and managing them in a cohesive manner. And from the spiritual realm, I know this flies in the face of a lot of programs, but from the spiritual realm, they said that when we can live in our cohesive uh, way, then we can actually come into remission from addiction because everything is working so well in our lives that we wouldn't even think to go back Mm. because we're managing all the different components of our lives in a, in a healthy way.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: So that's, that's, uh, that's a little bit about my journey and, and the book.
0: Yeah. Well, Well, I I have a couple of questions. Yes. If you don't mind me jumping in there, Dave. Yeah, go go for for it. it. First of all, how much of your uh, years of active addiction was your struggle secret? Oh, was gosh. That-
2: yes. I mm-hmm. would say, uh, first of all, I think it was secret for at least 20, 25 years, uh, 20 years, maybe before I had the nerve to tell my husband. Mm-hmm. And he he, um, he just couldn't believe it. You know, he's living in the same house with me, but bulimia is very sneaky and you're in the bathroom, right? And there's fans, and
1: yeah.
2: you can you can you know you can be very private. It's probably the one room in the house that we do have privacy, right? Right. Uh, if we're lucky, if we don't have small kids and a dog, um, right. But so yes, I told him, and then I actually had to tell my mom because she, I I believe that we um, we choose our parents on the soul level before we're born. And so we choose our parents who will help us to to understand what our soul came here to learn in this lifetime. And I must have signed my mom up to have a Tony Award-winning performance in regards to my food addiction because she just played the part so well, and I had to have a conversation with her to say the play is closed, um,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and could we move on to discussing other things other than what my body looks like, and what am I eating, and that took a good fifteen years to resolve that, mm. because she was so used to playing that role, and she had her own eating disorders in her own way, uh-huh. <clears throat> and so so that that took time, and it's interesting. I I, I did finally. When I was coming, wanted to come into recovery. uh, You know, I, I, I chose a really wonderful mental health professional who I obviously talked about it. I talked about it with my kids and my dear friends, and then I started to be able to talk about it with clients um, if I thought it would help them. But boy, I can't tell you how many people were shocked when they read the book. (laughs) Mm -hmm. They're like, "Wow, not they were shocked that I even had an addiction." You know, because I'm a spiritual teacher and I'm supposed to have my act together, mm-hmm. and yet I'm a human being, right?
1: Yeah. yeah. Did you find, Robin, that people actually responded to you um, more um, in your in your authenticity and your honesty after you really said, "Hey, I'm still actually struggling here," instead of being the altogether guru about this, but I'm really actually a fellow struggler. In the moment? I
2: I think so, yes. Um and yes, um and and one person actually um well two people said interesting thing to me. One the first person said, I always put you on such a pedestal, Robin. Now I'm so excited that I can take you off. (laughs)
1: Yeah. 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 And what a relief for you, right? Yes, yes. Yeah.
2: And then another, this is my third book. And um, and one woman called me, a dear friend of mine, and, and said, um, wow, this is the first book where I'm really seeing Robin Clare in this book. You were so courageously honest. Um, because the way that the book begins is I'm having a really difficult time one night, and I just keep obsessively eating. And I must have passed my husband in the den Thirty times, and I'm thinking, why isn't he asking me? Why am I going to the kitchen thirty times? Right? <laughs> mm-hmm. He knows that I have a problem, right? Mm-hmm. And but he he it's like it was like a spiritual setup, right? He didn't say anything, and I kept going, and then I went upstairs, and I struggled for so long trying to go to bed and and not throw up, right? Mm-hmm. And then, but I but I, the 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 addiction won over right? Mm. The, the suffering won over. And then I went through a bulimic episode and then I came into bed and I was tossing and turning, feeling so much shame and guilt. And then all of a sudden my guide comes in and says, instead of beating yourself up, why don't you write about this? And that's how I started the book was by writing because it was so fresh in my mind. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, and so fresh in my heart, all the feelings, right? Mm
1: -hmm. And
2: so I was actually up for two and a half hours writing about that one incident.
1: Wow. Because
2: I really wanted to be very, very clear. And so the beginning of the book is, oh, my God, I am so fat tonight.
1: Mm. Wow. Yeah. Right?
2: Because that's how I felt like I can't go to bed this fat
1: you know, and, Mm
2: -hmm. and I'm hoping that, you know, there's so many people and even like food addiction and bulimia is not really considered an addiction, but I consider it one, Mm -hmm. like they don't talk about it, maybe sugar addiction, but there's 30 million people in this country that have this problem. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I, I also believe this becomes a potential problem for people, not the bulimia itself, but the food addiction for people who are, who are healing from other forms of substance and vice abuse that Mm. they then turn to food.
1: Right. Right. So
2: I think, I think it becomes a a third level addiction for some people.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Yep. Absolutely agreed. Absolutely agreed. Um, I love that uh, writing has played such a role in you coming to greater clarity and making progress and recovery. Uh, That's part of my story, too. I often say that when I think, I think in circles, but when I write, I write in straight lines.
2: Yes, beautiful.
0: Uh, So writing does help me find clarity and direction. And you employ writing. You pass that skill along, don't you, to the people that you work with?
2: I do. I do. This year, I was inspired to become a writing coach. Because mm-hmm. what I realized is that when you write your own story, you you have this greater depth of healing in your life. But when you share your story, you you help others to heal. Mm-hmm. And so when I'm working with my writing clients, I Always say to them, "Let's write the story for you first. Let's yes. get this all out there. Let's turn over every rock. Let's, you know, let's see where the trauma was." So I'm using it as a way to heal trauma, um, and and to ground people in their recovery. And uh, my birthday was last week, and I was riding my bike, and all of a sudden, this 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 thought comes into me. Uh, to do a podcast myself called The Right Recovery W R I T E. I like it. Nice. Yes. Yeah. And um and I had like goosebumps all over as I was riding my bike and I said, yes, this because I really was trying to figure out how how does my recovery and my writing come together. And so, you know, with the right recovery is not just about writing uh, is not just about addiction from substances or vices. I mean, people could have need to have recovered from high anxiety or an illness, right? Or a bad relationship. So, I, you know, I work with people who or they they're a lot of my clients <laughs> tease me. They always say they're recovering catholics right? Like, mm-hmm. like, yeah. you know, what, whatever, whatever, or, you know, recovering religious people, right? And so whatever your journey is, um, I help them to heal what is left from the decisions that they've made in their life, because there are no bad decisions. There's just greater opportunities to learn.
1: Mm. Wow, mm-hmm. uh, Robin, you mentioned that, um, you, you, we are, um, you know, we are addicted to suffering and are we, are we born into Mm -hmm. that um, or is it our trauma that we become so attached to uh, that creates these narratives? Um, And and then the, you said, you know, we find our substances or our behaviors that reinforce um, the, the negative suffering, self-loathing, whatever it is that we're so, Attached to where do you, where do you think we get as as human beings uh, we stop being okay with us Yeah
2: yeah I mean I think it can start very young So if we looked at a newborn baby you can see that they are just love personified Right they're just delicious and yummy and filled with love and they make everyone feel good, you know. They they are just filled with self love, and then um, and then they go on their journey of as a human being. Um, they come in as a soul being, right? We all are soul beings. We have our soul inside of our physical vessel, mm-hmm. and then maybe they have parents that are not as enlightened as they could be, or. They have siblings that bully them or then they go to school and they have teachers that yell at them or other kids that bully them. And so what happens is we start to move from this um, this energy of self-love to self-loathing.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: as I'm saying, it can start as early as ch- early childhood, dependent upon how healthy our parents are. And 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 what they tolerate from siblings, mm-hmm. and so then we move into this self-loathing, and if we don't heal the self-loathing, because this could continue, right? Teenage, middle school, teenage years are so hard, right? Right. <laughs> Nobody right. is kind, right? And then and then we go to college, and then we go into the workplace, and then we're in relationships, right? And so we have all these opportunities to continue this to perpetuate this idea of self-loathing which turns into struggle self-loathing becomes struggle and if you don't heal the struggle then you're going to start suffering and and to and to perpetuate the suffering that you're in you'll look for um you'll look for vices or substances to to wallow in the 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 act of taking those vices and substances, the intention is to feel better, right? Always. Right. right. But that's not what happens. It actually, they, they actually make you wallow in your suffering. Mm-hmm. They make you feel worse, right?
1: Yeah. Right. You, know, right. you can
2: feel good right in the moment, right? Instant gratification, but you always feel lousy after. Yes. And um, and so then you have to come into surrender, Um, from the suffering and then allow, allow the resources to come to you, which in my book, I call grace. And that allows you the resources, working with the resources allows you to come into back into self love. And so that this is really the, the spiritual path, even in general,
1: Right. So <laughs> you know, if if
2: someone said, what is the spiritual path? I would probably say the same thing, and that's why it applies to recovery because we're trying to get back to recognizing the soul energy that we are and living in oneness oneness and unity with 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 that level of energy.
1: Right. And I've got to accept that I have to I have to actually surrender my self loathing as much as i 'm surrendering behaviors or my
2: mm-hmm.
1: yes. engaging in a substance or whatever it is, but i 've actually got to surrender my need to go to places of shame and self loathing and believe differently about um, uh, about myself and and yes. my uh, purpose and all of that that's that's yeah. great and I, I, man, we see that so much in in recovery work with clients and you know getting people to break that shame uh, addiction um
2: it, and it is and typically too um you know surrender and recovery is a very present moment experience
1: mm-hmm.
2: right because it's the only moment we have it's the only moment where you can make a positive or a not so positive decision for your life mm-hmm. When you're in shame and guilt, you're in regret of the past
1: mm-hmm.
2: or fear of the future, mm-hmm. right? You are not grounded in the present moment. So this present moment living is also very, very important. And in the present moment, you can clearly come into acceptance of you know the life that you had, uh, maybe the life that you're still in, and, ex- and acceptance and And also from that acceptance, um, accept accountability for your actions Mm -hmm. um, and forgive yourself and forgive others. But all of that, all of that really juicy and wonderful recovery work takes place in the present moment, not in regret of the past or fear of the future. So recovery is so important And that's the idea of moving from suffering to surrender. In surrender, you're in the present moment.
1: Yeah. I've got a quick question, uh, Nate, and I'm going to let you ask a question. But I've got one more quick question here about writing. I want to know, because I get people, I encourage them to journal. My clients, I always encourage them to journal. But what I find is, and I don't encourage them to bring it in and read it and pour over it with me. I just want them to begin to write the truth. But we all start out journaling, writing for publication, <laughs> we, we write the thing that we wish we were experiencing or we write the thing that we want it. We, we decorate it and we minimize the pain or we minimize the, the, um, mm-hmm. the stuff that's underneath it because we either feel disloyal to people or we feel whatever. How do you create safe spaces for people to believe that if they write this on paper, that they won't actually like self... Uh, destruct or something. (laughs) Yeah.
2: That's the word I was thinking of when you said self, like they won't implode, right? Right, right. Um, Yeah. And that's why I say to my writing clients, write it for you, Mm -hmm. right? With never the intention that anyone else will read it. Right. This is for your eyes only. And that takes away the fear of other people reading it And so, you know, when you're thinking of other people reading it, you're like, oh, I better make this so that it doesn't make my mother look bad. You know, that Mm -hmm. took a lot of revisions for me to well, what was interesting, guys, is that when I first wrote it about my mom, I was in addiction and I was writing it from a very hurt place. Before the book was published, I was actually able to get to a place in the part that I wrote about my mom from writing it from recovery, which was such a different place like I realized that this was the relationship that we had this was the interactions that maybe were not acceptable but I, I didn't stop being in her life and she never stopped being in my mind so at some level it was acceptable and and then I had to realize, this is who she is and it's not my place to judge her. Mm. Yeah. So um so then i had to go back and say how would a person in recovery write this? You know, where you're where you accept responsibility, when you're accountable for your actions, when you know um where to to forgive yourself and to forgive others. Mm-hmm. You know, and you want to live a healthy lifestyle. So i would say to them journaling is really wonderful, especially That's where I started writing. Um, I would I would wake up in the middle of the night with like prompts to write, and finally I realized that if I actually wrote during the day, I wouldn't have to wake up in the middle of the night. Um, And (laughs) that was a big awakening. I'm like, oh wait, that's why. But you know, I had to write when I was quiet and could focus. And so the way that I did it, you know, it may not be someone else's style. I actually for years wrote letters to God,
1: Mm. dear
2: God. You know, this is what's going on in my life is there any guidance that anyone anywhere can offer me and then I would just close my eyes and I would just write start writing more. I I I wrote in a journal, I didn't type it. And I just started writing answers for my life. And so that began this journey that I was on, on being able to listen for messages. Uh, And so I'd ask questions and then, and then I'd listen in my heart for what the answer was. So I would say to your audience, listen in your heart, close your eyes, drop down from your mind, from your brain into your heart and write the answers from there. Mm. And those are the true answers. And those are the ones that are without, um, shame and guilt.
0: Mm,
2: it's yeah. in our mind, in our in our mind, where the shame and the guilt lives.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know uh, what you're describing in the surrendered life. So much of what you're saying, you 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 use some language and some phraseology that's uh, not terribly familiar to me, but it resonates mm-hmm. uh, uh, with a lot of my own experience and uh you talk about that, that that life of surrender, and you i think you use the word cohesive or coherent mm-hmm. uh, and what I'm hearing is um and you're talking about living in the present moment this is a. a I'm hearing a lot about living mindfully,
2: yes beautiful right wide awake
0: mm-hmm. and mindfully uh rather than i don't i know during my years of active addiction, I spent most of my time in a dissociated state mm-hmm OK, um, I wonder if you can give us some practical advice for cultivating mindless how, my, um, mindfulness. How do how, how do you stay? Wh- wh- what are the techniques that you employ mm-hmm. to to kind of corral the wandering mind? Uh, keep, keep 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 the addict from uh, in- invading your day. Uh, and uh, yeah, how do you cultivate mindfulness throughout the day?
2: Yeah, so for me, I actually begin the moment I'm in conscious awakening. Right, the moment I'm awake, and I begin with prayer mm-hmm. um, to to ground myself. But my prayer is mostly gratitude—a gratitude for actually being here today. Nice, you know, and and to and and then to. Grateful for having the opportunity to serve, yeah. um, and I find being being of service mm-hmm. is such a fulfilling way of living. And I always ask, "How may I serve today?" Please bring all the people in my path that I could share guidance to that will that will change change their perspective and hopefully change their lives, and then even for me, I've had to learn mindful eating. That's been a very uh, important thing um, because I'm trying to, um, uh, you know, be healthy, but I'm also not trying to live a life of deprivation because uh, that's, that's, I don't know where that life of deprivation will take me, but I'm not willing to try. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So, right. so even if I have ice cream, like I'll have like, Two big tablespoons of ice cream, but I'll close my eyes and I'll just eat it mindfully so that I could appreciate, you know, all the texture and the flavor and everything. I would highly recommend that people go outside every day and take a walk and to feel their feet on the earth um, and become mindful of our connection to the earth, um, because I think we get caught up in our heads all day long and when you go for a walk you're grounding your energy into your physical body and that's where you that's where we should be living is in our body and not in our heads because that brings us closer to our heart center and so when you're living in your head you're typically living from a place of fear but when you're living in your heart you're living from a place of love and so you want to stay you want to stay in your heart. You want to make, you want to, when you're making a decision for your life, you want it to be a combination of logic from the mind, but, but a knowing from the heart that it's the right decision for you. Mm. So you learn to trust your intuition. I, I, I call on my intuition all day long. Is this right for me? Is this right for my family? And I also, you guys heard me do this. I, you know, when we had a little technical difficulty at the beginning, I'm always thinking, okay, so what does the universe have in mind for me today? Mm-hmm. Maybe we needed to see each other first in Zoom before we moved over mm-hmm. to this system so that we knew who we were talking to. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it brought us closer together. So I'm always thinking that the universe is always conspiring to make our lives better And so when maybe, and this is what I've learned, and it's the best thing ever, when something doesn't go right, or when something doesn't happen for you that you really wanted, it's just the universe making room for something better to come. Mm. And so if you can move out of the disappointment quickly, you can be in there for a little while, but not too long, move into like the hopefulness. Right, the grounded center, hopefulness that something better is coming. Right, because it always is.
1: Mm. Nice. that's good.
2: Yeah.
0: Well, um, Karen, the book again is Feast or Famine. Feast uh, and
2: and famine, because feast it's, and famine. Okay, yes, okay. Because we are always living both, right? <laughs> you know, okay. it's feast and famine. Healing addiction with grace.
1: All right. And that's available on Amazon
0: by Robin Clare. Yeah, Barnes &
2: Noble, everywhere. Mm
1: -hmm. Okay.
0: And for those of our listeners who would like to contact you directly, maybe talk to you about writing coaching or Mm -hmm. uh, any of the other work that you do, what's the best way for them to reach you?
2: Yes, the best way to reach me is uh, my website is clarity.com. Claire, like my last name, C-L-A-R-E. Dash, ity.com and on instagram it's clarity by robin and on facebook it's clarity with robin but i wanted to also say that on my website i have a free 30 minute um, session with anyone about anything <laughs> Wow! <good. laughs> and so anybody that wants to take me up on that off offer is great you know to help them and um, and if they want to learn more about my programs, we, we can talk about those. Um, but yeah, I've put that out there. And again, that's a, a way to be of unconditional service. And, um, and so, yeah, that's available to your listeners as well.
0: That's great. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, Robin, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, this is going to... Prompt a lot of uh, thought and discussion, I'm sure, among our audience. Yes. All right. Stay with us, listeners. We'll be back in a moment. Thank you. Positive Sobriety Podcast.
1: Welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. And Nate, I appreciated um, a great deal of things that uh, Robin brought to us today, especially about the um, the concept of really being the primary addiction being suffering, um, and that we're uh, addicted in for all intents and purposes here for to our self-loathing, and that to be healthy, we would really need to surrender. That old narrative and write a new narrative.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the first hint I got of the truth of that insight was a book by, it's now, uh, I think it came out in the 70s, Theodore Rubin's book, uh, Compassion and Self Hate. Mm. Uh, You know, I've never been tempted to binge and purge. Uh, certainly have had some struggles with food that I've started to recognize. Mm-hmm. I do see it as a second-order, third-order addiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a medicator when no others are available, you know. You mm-hmm. can always go to the grocery store. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when she describes kind of the agony, the private agony of this secret behavior that uh, you know is only going to make you miserable. mm mm-hmm. And yet you're compelled to do it and powerless to stop. It makes some sense as, as strange and jarring as it sounds that we could ever in a million years be addicted to suffering. When you look at the fact that we compulsively repeat a behavior that at least rationally we know is going to make us miserable.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, yeah, that's pretty irrational. Yeah. And I think she's got a point.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. and it's interesting because one of the things we're taught now to ask uh when we um embark on helping somebody with a substance use disorder is if they have any histories of eating disorders because oh, wow. yeah, because what we find is that when people will begin to um relinquish their substance abuse behaviors the old eating behaviors start to rear their heads. So it's really not uncommon for uh, someone that's struggled with bulimia in the past, for instance, uh, when they uh, embark on sobriety, that bulimia is starts to, for whatever number of reasons, starts to rear its head as that other way of, well, remember, you, you know, you can still exert control over here over how you eat and what right, you do and right. what you behave, you know, and, and that, um, uh, it's like that trauma finds another place to pull from. Um, and so we kind of have to be aware of that. And, and, um, and it's as common in men, um, almost as common in men, I should say. And as is, as we used to believe it was primarily women and yeah. we're, and we're realizing that, and young adolescent males, are very prone, um, to, uh, bulimia now and eating disorders. So anyway, but, but we always ask about it because it, when we give up one behavior, that other behavior is always, uh, there and, and may likely, um, manifest itself.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, and looping back to our earlier talk about technology addiction, this, uh, the selfie phenomenon and oh, this God. obsession, the obsession now with body image, Mhm. Uh, and the way I really want to be able, I can, you know, by using filters, I can make myself look better on screen. The question is, is it now going to be possible for me to look different in real life? And what, what can I do? Yeah. That's all all a crazy deal. Yeah. Well, uh, before we go, remind us about our sponsor will you david i, I, I did will. my best to kind of do it last week and come uh, and, yeah.
1: and yes you did and and i appreciated that i um i wish i had uh, been able to be there to plug uh try better help for us but okay. uh, yeah, it's trybetterhelp.com slash positive sobriety. And the slash positive sobriety is important to us because that helps us know uh, if the things we're putting out there are helpful to you all. So um, try better help is a 24 hour counseling um, opportunity. It's not a crisis hotline, but it is an opportunity for you to find your own personal therapist and um, to begin to engage from your own home with someone on a regular basis. Um, And it's a worldwide network. We have about 500,000 people taking advantage of that opportunity right now at trybetterhelp.com. And if you visit trybetterhelp.com, slash positive sobriety, uh, you will get a 10% off on your first month of counseling services. And uh, you have the option to use the same person again. If that it doesn't turn out to be a good fit, you have the option to um, find another person that might be a better fit for you. And they can help you with everything that's... Um, in in your in your world that's keeping you stuck from anxiety and depression to unwanted behaviors and relationships. So uh again, trybetterhelp.com slash positive sobriety.
0: All right. And as always, we love to hear from you. We love to get your suggestions and your feedback. And you can reach us at positive sobriety at gmail dot com. That's right. Well that does it for this week. Until next time. I'm a little bit older. I'm a little, eh, maybe a little bit wiser. <laughs> I'm Nate.
1: And I'm uh, just a more wrinkled version of David.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and for better or worse, we are your pals on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. The Positive Sobriety Podcast is recorded at Crossroads for the Nations in Brentwood, Tennessee. Live producer, Rex Schnelli. Music by Rex Schnelli. Theme music by Matt Ulrich. Uh, Hair and Makeup by Lyle Lovett, Wardrobe (laughs) by Kathy Gifford.